Hey everyone, I'm Sabaria. And I'm Nadi. Welcome to our podcast. We are your Wealth Strategies Duo. We are here to solve and help you discover your day-to-day financial doubts. Stick around for real conversations, real strategies from everyday people and practitioners who matter. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of What the Money the Podcast. Today, we will be speaking to an individual who is practically the backbone of the community and a practitioner who is indeed experienced in her field. She has worked with many families to run their households. Who are we talking about? It is Ms. Salha, a social worker who provides emotional, social and even personal support to the masses. Thank you so much, Ms. Salha, for being with us today. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself, like... How long have you been working as a social worker? Hi, hello. I have been working as a social worker for the past probably about 10 to 12 years. So I started off as a medical social worker in one of the hospitals in Singapore. And then I moved to a family service centre. 12 years, eh, Miss Alha? What makes you interested to go into this field, Miss Alha? Mm, I think it's not so much about interest, but I'm thinking of looking at the career path that is meaningful for me. I think it's important for me to have any form of career that gives me meaning. So at a point of time when I was just searching for myself and searching for you know meaning making, I realized that as a social worker, I think the impact is not only towards the client but towards myself and my family. So that was important for me as I look for a career that is fulfilling and also meaningful for myself and the society. Wow, okay. After uh, 12 years, uh, still yeah. looking, I mean, she's looking for a career fulfillment. Uh, wow. Yeah. Have you found a meaning in your life? I think it changes on a daily basis. <laughs> I, think, I think the meaning or the purpose of, of career, I think it's like why I'm working in such an environment how much I give to myself and how much I give to the society. Not that I'm lost or anything. I think it is a journey. Wow, interesting. I always wondered how social workers like, do their job daily. And I'm sure that if you're a social worker, especially if you handle different type of cases, either you handle children or you handle broken families or like maybe elderly, it's a very different job scope. So for yourself, what will be a typical day like for a social worker like you? Yeah, to be honest, right, as much as I want to say my job is 9 to 6, it's not. There is no typical day as a social worker. There are common days that could be quiet, but there will be other days that's pretty more challenging. Yeah, and I think the challenge is also because we do not know what will walk through our door, who will walk through our door. And if, let's say, the person comes in with thoughts that it's end-of-life issues, like, you know, death, um, suicidal, I feel suicidal, I feel depressed, what do I do? My husband want to kill me, what do I do? You know, I think these are some of the issues that will walk through our door. So there's no typical day as a social worker. It's allowing yourself to be fluid in your schedule. More flexibility in that sense. Mm. Uh. Okay, okay. Especially during this challenging period, do you get more cases, especially during these two years where you know, COVID hit us real bad? Definitely, yeah. I think the trend has been now is that people, when they lost their job, they lost their income, and with the loss of income, it actually impedes their mental health, meaning that, you know, be able to serve their family as how they did prior to COVID, and they were not able to function because their self-worth are also on the line, like, meaning that, you know, I used to be a manager, 
me in the past and I lost my job. So what am I now? I think that affects a lot. So what happened is that we also saw an increase in not only the financial issues, but we saw an increase in people who are dealing with emotional battles and how the family members were able to cope with these changes as well because they could be the main income earner. And then uh, because of the loss of job, uh, it affected their family's income and also expenses. So the family system itself changed. And sometimes the family find difficulty in moving because they're comfortable in their prior, previous life, right? And then suddenly sekarang, I have to cut down on a lot of expenses. I have to cut down on my spas. I have to cut down on this and that. So I think the effect is not only affecting one person, it affects the whole family. And sometimes that's when different interactions will come in. Like sometimes you see, see a little bit of aggressiveness from one side to the other. And then you see frustration. All these are built up frustration. So we see a bit of trend in that. Okay, because like when you, you took the leap of faith, you're actually finding your self-fulfillment in your career. And mm. now you're helping people find their self-worth. Mm. It's like pretty amazing, eh, Miss Alha? It's mm. very, how to say, because when you meet all these people, they come with their own issues. So you're actually helping them to problem solve theirs. But it's, mm. that's, that's a very interesting day. Uh, but what are your day-to-day challenges that you face? My own personal challenge would be challenging my own self-biasness. I think it's easy for us to be biased uh, uh, as okay, somebody okay. walk in and say that, hey, this person pakai dengan high heel, dan pakai skirt, must be, you know, somebody... Judgmental. 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 I mean, it's a normal nature of a human right. being. Yeah. Right. Yes. And, and I think the battle is that how do I make sure that I put that aside? And I think it's necessary for any social workers who would want to work long in this field to put aside your judging. And always you, just, you just have to be yes, on neutral always. grounds, yeah. Correct. I think because when the client comes in, you know, we cannot also, like example, the client comes in and say that my husband will kill me at 5.45 p.m. on Friday. You cannot say, hey, sorry, I close at 6 o'clock, so you better go back home. And then, you know, you deal with it yourself. No, we don't. I think there were also days that I work until 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. I was at the police station with the client. So there were a lot of these moments where I feel the difficulty that the client has, um, how I can support them. When you do overtime and things like that, are you remunerated or is it out of your own personal time? No, no, we don't get paid for our OTs. Okay, wow. Yeah. So it's basically, it's really from your heart that you are actually, you know, working till 2 a.m. to, to make sure that these individuals that you're helping get their problems almost solved. Uh, no lah, I, I mean, don't say that from my heart lah. Macam, I'm, not, I'm not that noble to be. <laughs> so, I think it's the purpose of this work. What is the meaning Asha that Allah. I make out of this work? Uh, the fact is, you know, I, I hope to also stand up for the vulnerable. I also hope to be the voice of the nice. vulnerable. So, yeah, this is just a, a meaning making that I made. What is your take on the most recent issue with regards to the SGH nurse who actually... When suicidal, yeah, I think that was really and it really shook the mental health awareness. I I couldn't comment on that. What I would say is that you know I think mental health is really a, a huge issue now. I think recently there was also a study that shows you know, social workers and those who are social service practitioners they have a higher rate of getting mental health issues. 
So what I would suggest to the team, to my fellow colleagues out there, is that it's important to self-care. It's important to make sure that you take time to take care of yourself because you cannot help another person if you are dry yourself. I think that's important to make sure that you take your time away from work and just do self-care. And I think it's important to also see that self-care is not selfish. A lot of my colleagues feel that, hey, but if I do self-care, I, mean, I go for a spa, I go for a facial, I feel so bad because my client is not eating well. Yes, but you know, I think the idea is that <laughs> you know, self-care is not selfish. You have to fill yourself up first before you help others. I mean, love yourself before you love others. Exactly. I think that's very important. Yeah, but I mean, your colleague is not wrong to feel that way. Like, you know, my client is not eating, but I'm doing it, what, a spa now. But then again, before you look after other people, look after yourself first. Mm. Is that right, Miss Alha? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember you say that these people come to you. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there, Miss Alha. For example, the nurse who committed suicide. They never seek any help and probably most of us or majority of us don't know where to seek help. How are people out there going to know that, okay, there is this help available? Because I think mm. a majority of us, I mean, honestly, if we have mental issue or we are depressed or we are stressed, we, we won't approach anybody at all. What's your advice? Like, How can people be more aware that there are such help available? Right. I think... Okay, again, I'm not commenting on what happened mm. with the SGPH. I, I think in general, it is also important for people around you. Or maybe you take notice of the people around you. Number one, I think person with depression, example, yes, they feel down, they feel low and everything, but they sometimes they will also mask all this as they're going to work. Example, I have a client who is a customer service person at one of the retail outlets. He's depressed. And there were a lot of issues on him. However, when he goes to work, he puts on happy smile. He was happy. He was, he was joking around. You know, he was saying that he was able to function in his employment pretty well. So none of his colleagues know about his depression. I think but until one day, I think, first he goes for his lunch alone. And then apparently one of his friends followed him on one of the days. And that's when he poured out a lot of things because his friend saw that if there was some difference in you today, you know what happened. Um, I think for us, we need to be vigilant on the people around. Um, that's one. And when we know that if this person needs help, there are a lot of sources actually. IMH might be a bit of a stigma. But yeah. you can walk into any of the hospitals or even any of the private clinics as well. There is protocols for each GPs or, or helping professionals to see that you know if you are having certain kind of criteria, certain kind of things that is a red flag of certain uh, health issues. There's a flow, lah, as in like, after this, where do you go? After this, where do you go? So I would feel that the easiest way is just to walk into any of the GP hospitals. Yeah. But that person also needs to be highly aware that, you know, I'm feeling sad, I'm depressed and stuff like that. Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. correct. So if, let's say, the person is not aware, I think it needs the other people in the his, his or her environment to identify that. Wow. Okay, okay. okay yeah, so, yeah. We, uh, uh, start, please be aware of my <laughs> mental, mental health. health. Yes, thank you. <laughs> same, same, same. That's why, that's why, I mean, uh, this is what I actually learned from young. Like, someone who's always happy or who's always positive, 
doesn't necessarily means they are okay. You know, take yeah. take the clowns, take clowns yes. for example. Yes. They're like actually the saddest people, but it's their job to make other people happy. So, right. yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot, all of us has the duty to just, you know, to care for the person closest to us and just look out for signs. I mean, yeah. even the smallest right. signs, yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Okay, Salha, I mean, uh, from your personal experience, what do you learn from it that can put into practice, especially in financial aspect? I think in financial aspect, so this is away from the mental health issues. It is the idea of coming in from that person's point of view of what is their belief of money. Because some people hate money, okay? And some people honour money. I mean, I need to also... What I learned from it is what is my interaction with money and what is a client's interaction with money. Also, client comes in with some specific requests, for example. And most of the time, the request is, the presenting issue is money, it's financial. Uh, but I also sense that in all presenting issues are financial, there are underlying issues. So usually money is just the tip of the iceberg. And when the client comes in and says, I don't have money, I, I, I lost this, I lost that, there is a lot more underlying issues that they are facing. And most of the time, it's their self-worth and the idea that, you know, why that money is an issue is also, I mean, other than their self-worth, I think it's a general idea of what their family sees them through money. I mean, that is what I learned from my daily interaction. Alright, so basically, when they approach social services or social worker like you guys, right, it, it do revolve around financial related things. Like, I mean, although it's related to something else, right? They're presenting issues. So usually a person, right, will be driven to go to a center or uh, to go and seek help. Usually they're driven by financial concerns. Um, because it's a practical, it's tangible, it's practical. It's something that you know, mm-hmm. I, my kids don't have, my, don't have food. You know, I need to get food for them, but I, for food, I need money. Okay, so usually they won't come in for I'm depressed. Sometimes like, if you are very highly attuned to yourself, like, you will know that oh, I, I come in because I need help for my mental health. But if no, I think usually they were driven by finances. Tetapi the underlying issue will be probably mental health, probably gambling issues, probably... I couldn't afford something, tapi I just want to buy it. So I buy it on a loan, for example. So there were a lot of things mm. um, on top of just finances. It's just that when they come in, it's usually, okay, I have no money. I have not enough money. But then then when you do a fact fine, it's actually more than that. Yes. It's most of the time it is. Yeah, because I think because money is a very general need. Mm-mm. You see, so it's, the, it's what right. they see and what they can actually voice out first. Correct. Yeah, and then after that, yeah, correct, correct, correct. So, Misalha, what is the most misconception about a social worker that you actually receive day to day? Okay, so... Um, oh, I, I hear that sigh, I hear that sigh. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, we are here for you. <laughs> the common misconception, kan, is that social workers are miracle workers. So, example... Okay. Magician, magician. Eh? Magician, magician. <laughs> so, like, example, a client who comes in and says that, you know what, I'll be kicked out from my house today, I need a house tomorrow. So, uh, okay. okay, so how do I build a house for you? During my younger days, I, I'm still young, during my younger days in social work, I think these are some of the questions or the personal biases that I have. How come you're homeless, you know? These kind of things. 
we are in Singapore or there is no homelessness in Singapore. You know, very ideal, rosy, rosy picture. But then the common misconception is that, you know, you are here to settle my issues. Ah. I've got no house, so where's my house? You know, I've got no money, so you give me money. And I think the money that they ask for sometimes is not $50, $100. Oh, I need $5,000 because, you know, last time I used to earn $5,000. So wow. it's like uh, yeah, and then my expenses now I got I I I rent a condo I do this I do that so I need this money. Then, um, I think also managing expectations. That's when we come in and we like what you say we fact find eh, and we have to manage expectations and say that oh sorry you know last time yes we were able to afford such lifestyle but I think now things are different and things move. So as much as we want to help you with five thousand we can't just we can help you fifty dollars. Example. You know, <laughs> Were they taken aback with the $50 or they just have to take it because that's what? I think they were taken given. aback. Tapi, um, I think they were taken aback. But of course, there is this idea of the mismatch expectation. Also, I think it's the idea of doing self-worth where, wah, betul punya macam boleh memalukan apa? Right? I mean, it's very shameful for them. The fact that Face value mis- lah. Face yes. value. Yes. It's very, it's very shameful for them and I think the idea that oh, last time I used to earn this much and then now, you know, I need to go and ask for money. It's like, the, the idea, I mean, I couldn't imagine anybody in that situation to come and seek help. Wow, I think, but at the end of the day, um, that's the reason why we run our podcast and it's name what the money. And I think every guest we approach, every, every topic that we're going to talk about, it really, at the end of the day, it still revolves around, around money now. Like like what you mentioned, mm. usually people mm. approach you for the first time is usually because of money. But after that, then you uncover all all the other reason like their self worth, mm. everything. So for your ten to twelve years of experience, right, in this social work, right, have, can you share with us one very interesting, challenging case that you face? On money matters, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay. There is no yardstick to uh, what is a challenging case or not. I think every client that walks in brings in their own set of challenges and their own set of um, struggles. But I think one significant case that I remember is that this client married with two children. So clients are probably about an elderly And then after that, the wife is a non-Singaporean transnational family. Two kids are Singaporeans but very young. So maybe about seven seven and four years old. So at that point of time, you only have one child. So this is not the first marriage for the husband. It's probably the third or fourth marriage for the husband. So husband got elderly, adult children in the previous marriages. I think initially when they got married, the husband was working as a driver. So he earns an income. And so the wife is not working. Wife is a caregiver and all for the children. But what happened was he lost his health. His health deteriorated. And uh, he had kidney failure, he had heart issues, he had other medical conditions, he's um, not able to, to drive, and even his walking is also not good, his gait is not good. So they uh, became permanently unfit for work. So then, you know, you have a permanently unfit elderly, you have a wife who's, about, who's pretty young, it's about 30s, in her 30s, but not able to work because she is on social visit pass. And she has a Singaporean child who is about the time probably about three, four Very years young. old. Very young. Right? And then she found out she was pregnant with the second child. Okay. So, so now clients are permanently unfit for work. So no income technically for this family. Then 
the pregnancy also, she didn't go for any pre or postnatal checkup. So, and then when she gave birth, I mean, that's when the MSW, also, medical social worker, eh, was hospital in terms of the uh, pembayaran. Lah. I think what was significant for that case, right, is that, you know, you got baby bonus, you know, when yeah. you get your second child. So, second the baby child is for 8,000, eh? About eight thousand, yeah, eight thousand. Uh, but eight thousand in total, right? So, but they, yeah. they were divided, right? So the Spread first out, payment, yeah. that's about three thousand. Right, the first payment. I think so. Three thousand yeah. or four thousand, I can't remember. <laughs> okay, so about three or four thousand. Uh, so they got their first payment of that. Okay. And when they got their payment, so I asked them, eh, so you know, then, but they still come over and ask for financial. They say, eh. You know what happened to your baby bonus lah, you know, you still come here and ask for milk and diapers for what? The first thing that they bought was, to my surprise, was a 65-inch TV. Wow! <laughs> Talking about need and wants, eh? <laughs> exactly. So, um, yes, you know, I had the same shock, you know, like, like how you guys were. But then, so I asked him, you know, how come you buy a TV? You know, you need milk and diapers, you know. And then the letter, uh, because my first child, I did TV rosak kat rumah. And my first child likes to watch cartoon. So she will always go to Majiran and watch cartoon. And me as a father, I feel lousy because my daughter has to go to Majiran to watch cartoon. And sometimes my neighbor uh, do not want to watch that particular channel, want to watch another channel. So my daughter will come back home crying and telling me that you know she missed this channel, this, this cartoon, the bug, the bug, the bug, the bug. And then you realize that hey, for him, eh, it's a need already to have this TV. For him, the fact that, you know, I need to feel as a father, I need to feel worthy of a father, I need to be able to afford my child's smile through a TV, I'll get a TV. And then you get a 65-inch TV. Yes. So I was also asking him, how come 65-inch? You know, you can't get anything smaller, cheaper? <laughs> and he said, oh, oh, because my elder children, when they come and visit me, they're not going to say, because I'm cheap. So, and my TV rosa, and, and you know, this and that, this and that. So, I think the idea of self-worth of a person, you know, how people right. make sense of him, you know. So, because I do not want people to thinner eye, I believe TV rosa. So, when my adult children come over, they can no longer say that I'm a worthless father. It's muka lah, face, face. Now, we're talking about upbringing, eh. Yeah. But there's a lot of issues in one issue. It's yeah, yeah. So I guess the idea is also, um, then bila I dengar the explanation, I was like, okay, then I get where he's coming from. I get why he, where, why he yep. got this 5 yep. And because his idea of need is actually very different. And I think it's also compensating. He's trying to compensate to the young, to the elder daughter, to say that, hey, you know, yeah, I, I know that you don't have TV for one whole year in our house, or TV rusak. But there you go, I'm, I'm compensating this for you. So we have a bigger, larger, and more luxurious TV. 65 inch that's a bit too luxury <laughs> yes yes but then again exactly. because you, you you had to empathize also with the whole thing right yeah so, oh i i don't know what to say so i, I think <laughs> i mean sub and i are financial advisors so we experience we sit down with our clients we do budgeting and we totally understand where like what they want and what they need that is mm. the difference and that's yeah. why sitting down to do your budgeting is so important yeah. because at the end of the day, getting, yeah, that 65 inch, yes, it's about self-worth, it's about your face, but is it necessary and whether you have your money to meet your day-to-day needs, right? Yeah, true, true. 
yeah, so that's uh, I don't know. I'm try still trying to absorb that fact. I think it's slightly different from Salha's shoes in that sense. Correct, correct. Because she is looking at the bigger picture. So mm. I think compassion mm. is something that which you need in this career also, eh? Mm. Then you need to switch also, eh? like from judging. Oh, why do you need this TV instead of buying mm. diapers? And you must like switch to their perspective. Yes, that's a day-to-day challenge. <laughs> Very challenging. Very challenging. <laughs> it's a job not for everyone in that sense, yeah. So, Miss Salha, how do these families usually overcome the financial difficulties? Are there programs that the Family Service Centre provides? Okay, different FSC, they, have, they run different programs. Okay, generally, I would say that depending on the clientele group, and depending on the profile of the people that they serve, the programs run varies from children financial program to adult financial literacy. But in all honesty, I think in Singapore, there's no shortage of financial literacy programs. I mean, you go to any self-help groups, you go to any, uh, even online also there's a lot of how to manage your finances. Right? And then there are also free courses as well. So for social workers, right, because we work individually with clients, we also try to work into their intrinsic values. Like I think what Nadi mentioned earlier, face value of a person and then you know, the upbringing of a person. And to be honest, we cannot change the upbringing of the person's perspective. So if the person feels that you know, my needs versus once my need is a TV, 65-inch TV, changing that perspective cannot take one night. You know? And I think it's also how... Uh, we social workers, we try to educate our client okay, as much as we educate how do we empathize with the client and how do we make sure that we don't lose that therapeutic relationship with them. Because as much as kita nak nag at them eh, and tell them, you know, this is the need, this is the one and be authoritative towards, to them and telling them that they shouldn't be buying this and that, we also have to understand the fight that they're coming from and they're from their own background. If their background comes from a place of uh, my tak apa lah, you know, kais pagi makan pagi, kais petang makan petang. Then I think it's also hard for us to change to the idea of if you get your monthly pay, then you settle for one month for your pay. Okay, so because you have clients who like daily weighted pay, meaning that I get my pay at the end of my work shift. So I get $50, $60 at the end of my work. So every day I got cash money. I think for that to change, to say that, you know, I it's better for you to get your money at the end of the month, that needs a lot of mindset shift, a lot of work that needs to be done on that. Yeah. They need to adapt to it also. Correct. Because correct. they're so used to daily pay. Yeah. Exactly, I exactly. I think anything will take time. Yeah, correct, correct. So for like you check out some specific programs, um, I mean different centers they run different programs based on your own okay. profile. So so basically, we have listeners that are different age range. So and mm. different problems. And if you're a child, if you're, I mean, if you're a teenager, if you're an adult, so that is handled by different social workers or? If you talk about specificity, specific issues of a child, yes, they have. we will refer them to experts. Experts in the urban area, like child, adult, elderly. But for a generic social worker, we work with the whole family holistically. So, if example, the family comes in, the mom comes in, we work with the father and the children. Tapi, at this point of time, like the current landscape eh, of social work eh, is that the people come in or clients come in with a lot of complexity. 
So we also work hand in hand with other experts. So example, if the child has medical issues, we work with the, with the hospital side, or with the school, you know, if his family has got issues with forensics, then we also work with the police, etc. So we try to work holistically as a family. Oh, okay. So technically, you are like GP. Anything um, we go, anything yeah, they go to yeah. you first before you actually channel them to the right specialist. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a common that's a common phrase that we also use. That you know, we are like oh, the GP. Okay. Uh, that's something new I learned. So technically, GP. Yeah, technically GPS. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. So okay, one last question, eh, Miss Alha, what is the one financial advice that you would share with our listeners? Usually in textbooks that I read and in my conversations with Nadi, right? Um, <laughs> she would tell me, <laughs> she would tell me, you know, save ten percent to twenty percent. Is it twenty percent of your salary, and then into your savings and you know invest, etc. I think it's okay. It's workable for somebody who has the bandwidth and for somebody who is who has the ability to do that. Tapi in Cases where I work mostly with, or clients that I work mostly with, they don't have that bandwidth. Meaning that they have, they bring home pay thousand four. They got six children to feed. Don't tell me they want to save two hundred and eighty dollars into their account for savings. Yeah, so I think for savings, to be honest, I mean my advice would be look for a job yang ada CPF, because that will be very helpful for you. For your retirement, and also that be very helpful for future use. Like, and then you have a bit of savings. Okay, I'm not here. Your home, eh? your home especially. Eh? Yes, yes. I, I'm not from CPF, so I'm not advocating. <laughs> okay. Disclaimer, disclaimer. disclaimer I, I'm not from there. I mean, my advice to people who are listening is you know, it's really more on get a job and CPF. Lah. So that will force you to save. Although, tak nampak to do it, lah, but that will force you to save. But your simpas nampak iya ada ribu ribu. Wah, tu pun dah PFP, kan? <laughs> and that's how you feel, right? <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> I think it's also important for us to understand that if anything happens to us, the money goes to our family. So True. if anything happens to us, the money still go to you know to the use of our family while they grieve for us or they can move on without us. I think that's also another way to see how this forced savings work. Right, I think maybe like what Miss Alha said, disclaimer, she doesn't work from CPF. Yeah, CPF is important, but at the same time, mm. if you're an entrepreneur or if you're self-employed or freelancer, then you need to make sure you are disciplined to actually save that amount of money. Mm, mm, right. Correct, correct, correct. Oh yeah, and another thing, there are the DPS, right? Dependent yep. Protection Scheme. Yeah. Try not to opt out. <laughs> I mean, I've mean, seen cases where they cli- the clients opt out and it's, it's really sad because, you know, the family who gets left behind, the person who passed on is a sole breadwinner, the family who got left behind, and it was hard for them to stand up again and you know look for a job while they were also grieving for the loss. So there were a lot of things. I love that Miss Alha is on the same page as us eh, because again, when we are out of the picture, of course, we don't need to care whatsoever, but are we living responsibly? Are we yeah. leaving the people behind with something or nothing? So I yeah. think what Miss Alha means when she mentioned about the CPF and things like that, technically, you're planning your legacy when you yes. are no longer around. And I think for a general thing, I think that is very, very important. Yeah. yeah. 
Thank you, Ms. Alha, for uh, reiterating what we are always sharing with our clients. So I think you can also do the same with yours because I think it's the same thing because when you leave behind a family with nothing, I mean, mm. it's quite sad. Mm. It's a very sad situation, honestly. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Correct, correct. And I think what about that? If you pass on, I think you left, you leave behind your family and then you know, your family have to buck up, right? To stand up. But if, let's say, you became immobile, I think that is also another issue that, you know, your family to take care of you. And then, you know, if you do not have any like, backup, kesian your family. Kesian sangat-sangat. And this we are talking about the total permanent disability coverage, yeah. eh? It's truly important. And again, I want to repeat what Ms. Alha said just now. Like, you know, whatever coverage that the government gives you, you're actually paying for a very minimal sum. So please do not opt out, especially when we talk about DPS, HPS, Elder Shield, Cash Shield. I mean, all that you are actually paying for a minimal sum. And do speak to us if you have any questions pertaining to it, because we would be able and we would be glad to help you. Yeah. Thank you, Ms. Alha, for a very heartwarming and eye-opener conversation this morning. Eh? We definitely see more to a family service uh, counsellor than uh, meets the eye. So for any questions pertaining to financials or even you know, of anyone who has mental issues or anything that you, know, you, you can highlight to us, do drop us a message on our Instagram at Wealth Strategies Duo. Thank you for listening to What the Money the Podcast. See you on another episode.